0: Alright, welcome to another episode of Block Content Podcast. Um, This is just me. Joining me today is uh, no one. Uh, It's my work from home day today, and uh, in my lunch break I thought rather than accomplishing the tasks around the house that I have been asked to do, I just get on here and talk to you lot. Um, It's been a little while, but not much has really happened since uh, the last episode of the pod with Zach, Cal, and who was very gracious to join us on that occasion. Um, but I just thought I'd jump on here and talk about a f- the few things that have happened because there has been um, some events of significance in the NBA, but not so many that we really need to convene everyone. And, and, um, or just so many that I thought I'd like to talk about them. I'm quite lazy and I don't want to organize anything. Maybe I'll do something on my own, record it and see how it sounds or I'll absolutely hate it and throw it into the bin. So if you are hearing this, I've made the first of those decisions. Um, but beginning with, unfortunately, horrible news that Bronny James, in the middle of a USC workout uh, yesterday, collapsed with cardiac arrest, was taken to the ICU. He's now reportedly in a stable conditioning condition and recovering uh, outside of ICU. There hasn't been a further update. Uh, but, I mean, I'm not pushing for... LeBron to stand in front of a microphone and tell us the condition of his son, uh, obviously just wishing him all the best and just hoping that that situation can can somehow turn positive. Uh, you think of maybe a guy like Christian Eriksen who collapsed with, with, I think that was a heart attack when he was around 28 playing for Denmark and now he's kind of back in the EPL, he plays with a pacemaker. Hopefully. Bronny is able to to get back on the court and and continue his goal of becoming a, a solid NBA player, which is obviously what he was uh doing in furtherance of when he was training. So that's just a, a horrible, horrible situation. And, you know, every positive thought and mention and, and so on to, to LeBron and, and their whole family, like Jesus. But um Jalen Brown has finalised finally signed his contract extension, which is five years, $304 million. By the final year of that, he will be paid $69 million. Nice. This is a delay that sat in my mind for a very long time. I just thought it was so weird that they didn't make the deal. Um, I wrote a couple things about it and I was just trying to monitor. Every morning I was just checking a couple different Boston accounts to see what's going on. Does anyone have the word on this? Uh, the word was it would be done before Summer League started, then it moved to after Summer League, then Jalen went away. He was in Spain promoting some brand with Donovan Mitchell, Evan Turner, Andre Iguodala, which started to... Just everything became weird once the Summer League deadline passed and it kind of seemed like... It never felt as if there was going to not be a deal, but you would figure that it was put on the table, signed, done. Like, really, what's, what's there to negotiate? Word since come out that the delay partly was Brown wanting a player option in the fifth year. Um, and some some stuff around bonuses, you know, All-NBA, All-Star, a couple million dollars here and there on top of the, the figure, which I think is what brought it eventually to that uh, $304 million figure. So congratulations to Jalen, obviously. Um, Boston, I, I mean, two things about that deal. It's so much money. It's so, that's uh, like, Obviously, it's the biggest deal in NBA history. Like, sure. At one point, Mike Conley had the biggest deal. At one point, John Wall had the biggest deal. Then Steph, then Giannis, then Jokic. So now we're getting past the quarter billion dollar deals, which is what those guys all signed. And now we're on to $300 million deals. But it's all part of a pile. Like, the players get, what, 49? 49 and the owners get 51% of all the revenue. So of that 51%, the owners are paying their players you know, however many hundreds of millions of dollars a year, but no one's getting, no one's going broke paying their NBA players. No one is losing money on their NBA teams. These are billion billions of dollars every year. They're such good money generators. You know, the Warriors are prepared to go into a billion dollars worth of salary and tax because the team just makes more money than that. So I don't really have any uh, consternation or, or hand wringing over, oh, when somebody think of the poor owners that have to pay Jalen Brown all this money, but it is worth saying that's so much money. And there is a bit of a worrying trend of disparity where you're seeing teams like Phoenix who are kind of stacking the deck with four guys on absolutely huge money. And then the rest are on, you know, veteran minimum street, $3 million or less, which is, you know, still good money, but it's pennies by comparison. So there is kind of a bit of a disparity for these top teams Uh, where they've got to, because these guys are earning 25%, 35% of the cap, and you've got to fill out your roster with guys who are on minimums or or around that figure, that it's just a bit irksome in terms of there's just going to be guys on ridiculous looking, you know, when you say something like Jalen Brown earns $53 million, it's just going to be, it's, it's going to rankle with people who are, you know, first of all, it just rankles with someone who earns, a couple, you know, even $100,000 a year, when someone else is earning $50 million, you kind of feel like you're a bit worthless. But if you're in the same profession as them and you earn $3 million a year and you're expected to go out and do the same thing, who knows what, what'll end up. And, and those lower figures will get bumped up too. So it's just, um, I think the the shock factor is still there with these deals. It's only going to get worse because as the cap goes up, we'll, we'll be looking soon at, $400 million deals. There's a prediction that uh, Shea Gildress Alexander, when he becomes a free agent in 2027, he'll be eligible for a deal which is valued at around $400 million in total. And, you know, he'll be 29 by that point. He'll be in the middle of his prime and, and he'll get it, assuming everything goes well for Shea and he's healthy. Like, the player, the caliber that he is, he's, a, he's an All-NBA player. He's one of the, the best young players, the best young point guards in the league, which is a very stacked position. And eventually he'll get $400 million and then someone will get $500 million. So, you know, Luka Doncic will probably get a half a billion dollars at some point. So, you know, it's all kind of relative. and But the shock factor is, um, it's definitely there. Especially because, like, Jalen Brown is not by any means the number one guy in Boston. Like, no one's going to argue that he's, that he's number one over Tatum. And Tatum's got two more years on his deal. He's got thirty-two mil this season coming, and then thirty-four the next. But like they, they just kind of have to go all in on this championship window that they have open. And this is absolutely the point that it's open for them. You know, these guys are hitting their prime. Uh, Tatum's still, <laughs> Tatum's still only twenty-five, which is insane. And Brown's what twenty-six, twenty-seven. They bring in Zinger. Uh, he's got he takes up his two-year option, and and they've got they're going to kind of figure out the pieces at the back of the bench and and so on but that, you know, includes moving out Marcus Smart, probably moving out Malcolm Brogdon and letting uh, Grant Williams walk. So, you know, Boston didn't really have any other options. It didn't seem like they were much in the market for Dame and and bringing him into Boston to play point guard. It doesn't seem like they've been really in the market for a point guard at all, which is odd because they've never had one. Um, But, I mean, what more can you say? Jalen Brown signed on the line, which was dotted and, and that line and signing on that line means that he gets paid $304 million. That's how the CBA works. These, you know, every, everyone deserves all their money. It's fine. But Jesus. Um, so that you know, Boston are doing a bit of rejigging. They've kind of, they'll, they'll they might make a few more moves as we get closer to, to training camp and, and figuring out kind of just that back end of their roster, what they're going to do with guys like Peyton Pritchard and, Sam Hauser and just those, you know, eight, nine, ten guys. Because you'd think, for the most part, that they're not going to spend a lot of. There's not going to be a lot of discussions in in the trade market for for Boston, and they're pretty well locked into to their top five of Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, Robert Williams, well, who's five, Al Horford. Like they've, got, they've, you know, they've got their guys, and and they'll stick with them, and and whatever they do this season will probably all come back to how much Jalen Brown gets paid so the target's on him now and you know he's coming out of a pretty awful game seven and eight turnovers in that game um he's got a lot to now he doesn't have uh so much expectation to live up to he's he's got well the expectation of his salary rather than the expectation of his potential and uh kind of an expectation of apology that he's got to uh right his wrongs from from the Miami series and and make up for all the turnovers and the poor playmaking and and decision-making that he showed throughout that series. So, you know, everyone's going to watch a million Boston games. Everyone's going to watch Jalen Brown very closely. That's going to be probably one of the through lines of of this coming season is where they stand in the East and and where Jalen fits into their top five and and into whatever his production is. Uh, But it's interesting nonetheless. Uh, Just moving on to a bit of summer league stuff this is just some cool stuff that I noticed, um, before I forget it. And Summer League is kind of banished to that back part of my brain where all the other Summer League memories go. But, um, in there is, is of course, shout out to Glenn Rice Jr. Who had, I think he was at one point, a Summer League MVP and it was him and oh, was it Otto Porter playing for, I watched a lot of their games playing for the Wizards Summer League team and it was like, man, this kid's got it. And then he never made anything. But, you know, uh, these are some of the kids who who impressed me in the summer league that I watched. Uh, Keontae George, who is a guard uh, for the Utah Jazz, who he averaged 21 and six, uh, but only three rebounds. So what you'd expect for a guard shooting 44% from deep. I really like his game. I really like his jump shot. It looks fantastic. he um, looks like he's a he's. Got the ability to kind of slot right into that Jordan Clarkson role that uh, that the Jazz had or, or maybe even what Malik Beasley was doing before the trade. And, you know, the Jazz are a, a great young team. They've got a lot of great young talent. They're very well coached. They've got a really interesting offense where they move a lot and shoot a, and shoot a shit ton of threes. And, you know, George just fits right into that. He's going to, you know, he'll be a, a player on a competitive low range Western conference team. He'll probably come off the bench and you know 15 or so minutes a game but keep an eye out for him because he could be one of those guys who just comes in and and just takes up a role and and hits you know if they give him six threes he hits three of them so I I really liked what I saw out of him uh Bates or Imoni Bates I'm I'm, uh, unsure in pronunciation for the Cavs he averaged uh 17 and 6 in Vegas over six games obviously the um the Jazz were the eventual champions of Summer League which is always a a good sign, if you remember the uh, young Lakers team with Lonzo, Kuzma, Ingram, Josh Hart, they won a um, summer league championship. Um, so everything's look it up for the Cleveland Cavaliers, as it always is. Um, another one, Isaiah Mobley had uh, seventeen and six as well, but he averaged four and a half assists and had some like winning plays in the semifinal game and and the eventual final. Um, and you know, it's everything at the Cavs looks. Still looks very, very good. They've got, you know, Mobley, Evan Mobley is coming along excellently. He's been tracking well. His numbers might have dipped here and there in his second year and there was some criticism about his his role in the offense. Um, And obviously he had a very tough, tough postseason coming up against a much bigger Julius Randle who was able to throw him around pretty much with ease and, and Mitchell Robinson just throwing him off, uh, where the lights were too bright. Um, but bringing in two young bigs, uh, Bates is probably like a three, four Mobley's for four five. Um, but they've, they've already got a lot of size with, with Allen and, and Evan Mobley. Uh, this might mean that we see those, um, Jarrett Allen rumors pick up again. There was a few, uh, just before the draft that Mobley, that sorry, Allen, uh, was on the market and, capable of being moved. Uh, I don't know what you would get for him at this stage, especially after that, um, terrible postseason that he had where of course the quote, the lights were too bright. Suddenly, I don't know. It's sounding like second round picks to me. Um, uh, but we'll, you know, as we get closer in, to the season, the, the, um, Cavs will look at what their rotation their, and their big man rotation will become. I would actually prefer with the moves that they've made, bringing in more shooting, um, with Struess and with George's Niang, I, I think that maybe now is the time to stop experimenting with with the big big lineup that they were playing with Arrett and Mobley, Allen and Mobley together, and going for a lineup that looks a little bit more Garland, Mitchell, Struess, Mobley at the five, and then your four could be George's Niang, but he doesn't rebound, or maybe. And that's where it gets a bit difficult is because you start, as soon as you start talking about that, your fours become maybes, uh, but your one, two, three is pretty nice. So it's something to watch for the Cavs, what they do with, uh, it, it's not going to be, I mean, by no means it's going to be Bates as as a starting player there, but he's kind of, there's a spot at that three, four, tweener, small small ball, outside shooter, rebounder, bit of a playmaker that, that the Cavs will be, um, Looking at, I don't think from their current roster, Okoro doesn't do that. Oh man, who does that for the Cavs? Yeah, so that's um, at least a thought that I'm having and haven't completed, um, especially in the just at the end of July when we are just less than ninety days away from from opening night tip off. Uh, and then another guy who was impressive was Cam Whitmore, who was Summer League MVP, averaged 19, 5, and 2. Uh, there was a lot of attention around Cam during the draft where he dropped substantially from a predicted, you know, at times during the, during the college season, he was predicted to go anywhere even within the top five and then just started dropping consistently throughout the draft. And as a, as he was dropping, there were more and more stories emerging that maybe his workouts weren't so great, maybe teams were worried about, his ability to play within a team offense or, or share the ball. And he was a bit of a, a ball stopper in college, but his completion rate on, on attempted shots was quite, quite good. And obviously, you know, he averaged 19 points a game in summer league. He's uh he's an athletic scorer. He's got good size. He's got good hands, uh, pretty good nose to the ball, five rebounds a game. But, you know, he's a, he's a three, four type player. So, you know, the Rockets took a gamble on him um, at 20, which really how many, uh, 20th picks in the grand scheme of things work out it's not the worst gamble for for the Rockets who did have a bunch of picks have and have a bunch of young kids now uh, in their system. Uh, the Rockets are apparently this is year by year three of their development uh, Tillman Fratita wanted results and they bring in Fred Van Vliet they bring in Dylan Brooks they were very close to bringing in Brook Lopez if you believe, um, the rumors out there about Brooke, which I happen to do. Um, and they were looking to try and build a just a veteran presence to tell some of these young kids, like, it is not always appropriate to be fucking around, or it is not always a good thing if you just run up the court with no plan and you just, whoever had the ball when you, when you got over halfway is whoever's going to take the shot. And that's going to be helped a lot by uh, them lucking out into... Uh, Ime Udoka, you know, who was the pick of free agent coaches, aside from um, the issues which we are still uh, we still have very little knowledge about that that saw him be fired from from the Celtics in uh, in last offseason, probably around this time last year. But you know, the the Rockets take a chance on a on a coach with with some strange issues, but who is otherwise technically sound, a brilliant coach got the best out of a bunch of different guys in Boston in one year and, and showed that he was, you know, within that real top tier of coaches. And then they bring in Fred Van Vliet, sure. Fred's a good player. Fred makes a lot of big shots. Fred's been there. He's done that. And then they bring in Dylan Brooks, which is a question of um, why would why would you do that? And why would you pay him that much money are probably the two questions that that immediately arise when you think about Dylan Brooks at Houston. Um and trying to be fair and weigh into it a bit more and think about it, I suppose that in Boston, Ime Udoka got the best out of Marcus Smart. The best year of Smart's career came under Udoka. He shot better than ever. He had higher assists. He was Defensive Player of the Year. So if you're looking at that for a positive, if you're looking for literally any positive, Um, for Dylan Brooks in the Rockets, then that would be what you would have to force yourself to point to. Um, I don't really believe that there's going to be a a sudden Dylan Brooks resurgence and he's going to be Marcus Smart 2.0, but the potential's there. Otherwise, Jalen Green, I still like. I think he's got a lot of talent. He's just kind of out there doing whatever he likes. So I would be pleased to see uh, a much more focused and efficient, Jalen Green in this season coming. He hasn't really had the opportunity to do that. He's 21 now. Um, probably time to time for Jalen to uh, to to grow up and leave Neverland and and actually play some real basketball. Uh, as well as Jabari Smith Jr., who is I don't still don't really have an opinion on. I see moments from him that I'm impressed by, and, and I see others where I, I wonder if he's even out on the court or if he's paying attention to the game. Shen Goon has a lot of positives. Uh, the defense is a negative, but what he can do with the ball in his hands is pretty special. He's got a, a singularly great scoring talent, singularly great impressive footwork, and seems to be just that kind of good psychopath that you want for a young NBA player looking for minutes in a pretty crowded roster with, you know, Tari Eason looking for minutes um, and a few other... Who else? <laughs> I can't remember. I'll, I'll, I must apologize because I can't remember the entire Houston Rockets roster off the top of my head, um, for which I will, of course, uh, punish myself and, and seek retribution. But, yeah, over in Houston, they're, um, they're putting something together more than just an intention to lose. Um, oh, that was the other kid, Armin Thompson. I was so impressed by I was actually so impressed by both of the Thompson Twins in summer league uh we didn't get a huge look at Armin thompson same as we didn't get a huge look at scoot which is disappointing but uh i watched a a few few minutes of detroit games to to check out um thompson who you know was was drafted the position below and and will take up a spot in that kind of guard rotation with ivy cade and and himself in detroit Um, he's a bit more of the two they say that Armin Thompson is the is the ball handler and distributor, and Azua Thompson is the shooter and and the finisher. So and by all reports, like super nice kids, crazy work ethics, uh, really really driven. They've made their way to the league, you know, by you know a talent and force of will and and if you believe, they're kind of almost like stereotypically nice to each other. There was a moment where. One gave up. Um, they were running together on a break, and Amen didn't pass the ball to Azur and apologized for it as they headed into it was two on two on none break, and one apologized to the other for taking a shot. So, I mean, if you if you can take that attitude into the league and and be that unselfish as a playmaker, then you probably have a good future. Uh, so, that I I'm interested to see how he fits into a pretty stacked guard lineup especially uh armen thompson that is who has uh not a great shot he shot 25 percent from three in the overtime league where they spent the last year um where the talent is not exactly comparative to college but in that with fred brooks green kevin porter jr you just worry that he might get left behind and, and not really find a role in that offense but Every other sign points to, to him being a good player and him having a, a pretty bright future in the league. So there's, you know, some good develop. Things don't look as particularly awful in Houston as you might expect given how they conducted their free agency. So, I don't know. They're probably still, you know, second, third worst in the, in the West, but maybe it'll be, uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> who knows? um uh, elsewhere uh, uh, uh. oh the hangover yeah there's a <coughs> now we're looking at um the hangover and and over the whole of the off season and which is where is James Harden going to go there's been very little traction on any James Harden rumors the strongest has been that he wants to go to the clippers um the clippers have apparently uh, a package to acquire Harden without giving up George or, uh, or Kawhi or any major, major pieces of their, of their roster that, that would stop them from putting together a lineup of um, the three of them together with Westbrook probably coming off the bench. The interesting thing with Harden, um, and Zach Lowe pointed this out on his podcast and it really kind of tickled a part of my dumb lawyer brain Is There's a section of the the CBA, which you can find at page 317, um, section 3, Withholding Services. And that says that a player who withholds playing services called for by a player contract for more than 30 days after the start of the last season covered by his player contract shall be deemed not to have completed his player contract by rendering the playing services called for thereunder. Accordingly, such a player shall not be a veteran free agent and shall not be entitled to negotiate or sign a player contract with any other professional basketball team unless and until the team for which the player last played expressly agrees otherwise. So that's a whole bunch of uh, annoying American legalese and American lawyers are the worst lawyers in the world. Um, They love to use words like they're under, throw in random capitals, do a lot of... uh, They might have a whole sentence in capitals of this to say that it's important. Um, Really doesn't actually ever mean anything. All of that... (laughs) those words in that sentence mean that Harden can't sit out for 30 days. And if he does, or for more than 30 days and refuse to give his services to Philadelphia 76ers. And if he does, then the Sixers can stop him from signing any contract for playing services with any other professional basketball team that includes Europe, China, Australia, wherever, unless they agree otherwise. So as we get closer and closer to the training camp and, and the pressure goes on Harden to turn up then Philly are going to be looking at this clause and saying well if you don't turn up then you haven't been you haven't rendered your service under the contract you can't go elsewhere there is nothing that you can do without our permission and I think that they by this can get out of the contract entirely and just say well you've, you're have you in breach of, of section 3 on, on 317 and because of that we don't Uh, we no longer need, we no longer expect you to be at training camp and we no longer have any obligation to pay you under the contract. Um, I'm still becoming more familiar with the CBA. Um, I would like to have some idea of how it works and what it does. I think, um, CBA knowledge is one thing that can set you apart in, talking about basketball because no one it's a big you know it's 600 pages that no one wants to read so if you're the one person that has read it then uh, no one can tell you that you're wrong because no one will ever check but it's good to be right and i'm interested this is at least interesting because it puts Harden in a position where he can't sit out or chuck too much of a tantrum because if he does then Philly can can hold over him and and stop him from from going elsewhere if they release him or or if they you know if if they can't find a trade partner and he says well i don't want to i don't want to turn up and be part of this team well they can they can let him know that he won't be part of any team without their permission so it's just that extra bit of leverage that philly have in their pocket that's only available because hardens in the last year uh, of his contract it wasn't something that say uh, they could have used against Ben Simmons or, or the Nets could have used against Durant or Kyrie when they requested trades. Uh, it's a unique situation only for players in the last year of their contract who could then become veteran free agents and um, sign for minimum or minimum mid-level exception contracts rather than staying at uh, high level free agents if they are released from their contracts and go to you know get and become buyout players and things like that so something like when when Blake Griffin got bought out because he became a veteran free agent his salary for the Nets only had to be somewhere in like the 12 million dollar range rather than staying at the 20 or 30 that he was being paid by Detroit but that's a long uh, explanation to say that this that Philly have a lot of power in this situation and Harden can say that he wants to leave and he wants to go to a particular spot and that's all well and good, you know. That's what a lot of players have done and will do and will forever happen into the future. But it's not going to go exactly all his way because there's some some extra negotiation that, that Philly have in their back pocket. So I'd expect to see Harden probably forced to turn up and be part of training camp. He might then pull... Uh, ben Simmons and rock up with his phone in his pocket and not put any effort in and, and then get kicked out and asked not to return, uh, which would of course be very entertaining. I'd be keen to see that. Um, I would be keen to see anything which assists in Philly's downfall. They're in a an odd position now where, I mean, you'd expect that they'd be in run it back mode after last season and, and convince themselves that, you know, they were one, they were one game away with doc from making an Eastern conference finals and, and finally getting over the hump that they've been, you know, pushed against for so many years and they can just do it better with Nick nurse. Nick nurse is a better coach. He'll get better out of their players. He'll get a lot out of Tyrese maxi. You know, the bench is still mostly there. Tobias Harris, it's his last year. He's playing for a contract, probably play well contract year for Harden, uh, MB will keep up his level of play, uh, in the regular season, see if he does, and you know, hopefully, bring his regular season play into the playoffs for once. But now they're kind of stuck in this position where everything's fucked. <laughs> James Harden doesn't want to rock up, and Bead is saying that maybe he wants to play somewhere else one day, which is uh, a vague but directed statement uh, at the front office to say, "Can you get me a fucking team around me, please?" and yeah, they're they're kind of gone from a run it back reset, give it a run with the new coach. To what do we do? What do we do when we've only got you know, in two years' time the only guy on a contract is is Joe Embiid and the other guy's Paul Reed? They've got rights to Maxi and they'll be able to offer him more money than anyone else. So you'd expect that Maxi will will take a second contract with them and, and get paid you know an absolute motta which he deserves, but. Suddenly, everything in Philly's falling apart again. Just as they have their their MVP, they make it into the playoffs with a high seed. Embiid gets injured again. Harden's a bit injured. Oh, whoopsie daisy, whoopsie daisy. We've lost in a game seven. Fire the coach. Blame everyone else. Harden and Embiid point the finger at each other, and now Harden's out. So it's all um, it's tragedy in Philly. Um, not that I feel altogether too sad about that with um, this platform's dedication to uh, not supporting Philly only because maybe it changes with with Nick Nurse uh, but it just feels like this team is has always been so samey and it's always been this kind of half run it up throw it to Embiid in the elbow he might do something uh, there'll be a bit of a swing action on the corner where no one gets the ball Embiid holds onto it and suddenly there's three seconds left on the shot clock and he's got to burp something up the bricks. So I think that Nick nurse can with the troops that he's got in Philly construct a much better offense than that, but I want to see it and I want to see Embiid perform in the playoffs and, and get past the second round. And if they do, then I'll, I'll be happy for that. But if they don't, then I'll also be happy because I'll, I'll get to make the same you know, six, seven jokes that have been pretty well locked in for for the Philadelphia 76ers for the past few years. So, I mean, it's a win-win. Either we get good basketball or point and laugh. So, I don't know where Harden's going to go. It's such a weird stage in his career. I don't know of any of the contending teams who would want to add James Harden. Like, the Suns have got Beal, And they've got Beal and Booker as at the one and two. Beal would, I mean, he probably does a better job than Harden could do anyway, even though Harden's the assist leader. The team that, like, he doesn't want to go to the Heat. The Heat have to run and play offense and defense and put effort into their every possession. Uh, That would be a horrible fit for James Harden. And everyone else that kind of jumps to mind, like, if you can think of a team that, that... fits James Harden, I don't have it because, you know, everything that comes to mind, it just flits away immediately as no, who would, who would take him on for what you have to give up for him in terms of salary in the first place. Uh, And then in terms of fit, because he's a dominant ball handling player who takes up a lot of your offense and for him to play his best, you kind of have to give into his style and let him work on the corners and, or, you know, work outside the arc and, you know, I don't. I, I don't see a big trade for Harden coming anytime soon. I think the situation is going to play out well into the season, and Philly's going to hold this over him to make sure that he's out there playing for them. So I think we're going to see similar to uh, before Harden left Houston. We're going to see some unhappy James Harden games where he's forced to play and and he will play well because before he left for Brooklyn, he had uh, a couple forty point games where it was. Can you know Stephen Silas convince James Harden that he's got something working with Christian Wood, and obviously that was not an effective argument, and and Harden was off to to Brooklyn not long after. Um, otherwise, the Dame trade is still out there. Nothing's really moving on that. Not really expecting anything to change for for a couple of you know a couple more weeks at least. If it's if it's the heat that that it must be the team that Dame lands at then the offer is still not good enough and the offer needs to get better by pulling in a third team. And I don't think any of the teams that are kind of sitting out there that have uh, surplus assets like your thunder or, or rockets or the Knicks who have a ton of draft picks, or maybe even Detroit who still have a bit of space left over and have a few picks. Um, they've got no motivation to jump into bed with, with the blazers in the heat to, to help them make a deal with one of their conference rivals or, or, um, or just, I feel there's a bit of a a mood probably within all those franchises that why would you, why would you try and make a deal with Pat Riley and think that you're going to come out on top? How are you not getting screwed? (laughs) Like these NBA teams are getting smarter now and they know that Pat's smarter than them. So in this deal, that's kind of still floating around where, you know, it, it seems to be Tyler Hero, a couple of couple of picks, a swap and, and maybe some other salary to make up the numbers, um, with Portland moving Dame and, and dumping Nurkic. It's that that's it, it's on the table, but it's not good enough for Portland, so we'll um we'll have to wait and see if, if anyone else is, you know, at dinner with with either Portland or or the heat and someone's in their ear for an entire evening saying, you know, just jump in and throw us throw us these these two two early second rounders and a salary fill and and don't worry, we'll get you back in five years. And then in five years they call and they go, oh, we didn't uh, ever say that, so sorry. And I think that that's probably how the Dame trade's going to go is that we're going to stick it out. There'll be some rumours here and there, but because no one else is able to get in and because Dame has said that he's not going to play for anyone else, um, Philly, Philly are the other team that could get involved, but I don't think they will because... Dame's made it clear that he wouldn't play with them um, and Philly aren't in a position where they can take a risk on convincing Dame that playing with them would be a good idea when they are in a position of having to prove that they are an elite contender or an elite playoff team. Um, And with the personnel issues that they are going through right now, I don't think they want to add a disgruntled Damian Lillard to that. Uh, Boston weren't interested in anything uh, to do with Jalen Brown. And I think that was quite wise. And, uh, the Clippers, there was some talk that Paul George could be moved for the number three pick, uh, and Portland, I think, quite wisely held on to that and, and picked Scoot Henderson. So, from Portland's perspective, they have uh, the replacement guard lined up, and they I'm sure they're very happy with Scoot Henderson. They have you know some good young talent, Anthony sidons shade and Shaden Sharp. They're probably ready to roll out that lineup for a few games and just let Dame sit and, and watch and do nothing, because... That's what they're going to do anyway once he's traded. They've got no motivation to put out a a lineup that would be competitive. They just want to get their guys some development and, you know, have them see some minutes. That happens whether Dame's there or not. So I don't think that there's any real motivation by Portland to to get on the phone and spend the next few weeks or, or even, you know, a month or two pushing for a deal when the deal, when it's made puts them in the same position, or you know, leaves them with the lineup pretty much the same as it is now. They don't want to put Tyler Hero out there trying to compete for minutes and score twenty or thirty a night. That that doesn't help them. That that's not beneficial to Shade and Sharp. So it's all on pause for the minute. Um, in terms of trades, in terms of free agency, there's really uh, no one, no one of significance left apart from. Uh, I'm sure that Isaiah Thomas and Dwight Howard are still making calls and asking that someone bring them back into the league. And that's getting the same answer as it does every season, which is no thanks. And Christian Wood is out there and very, uh, very lonely all on his own after a tumultuous year with the Mavericks, where he was traded for a second round pick that everyone was kind of questioning until... By the end of the season, realizing, oh yeah, people don't seem to like playing with Christian Wood, and he doesn't seem to like playing very hard either. So, bit of a weird situation for for Wood. Um, this, you know, he'll probably end up in the at the back end of a roster, um, and maybe on a a low uh, mid level exception or, or minimum deal. A lot of teams haven't used their mid level exception because players are. Um, are either going for above in the case of like Max Strews, who was predicted to go for a a full mid-level exception um, or guys are signing for, for the veteran minimum, like Eric Gordon, who was, you know, I'm sure a bunch of teams would have given him the full mid-level or the, or the mini mid-level. So it'll be interesting to see what Wood signs for, whether it's a, a mid-level or even a minimum, but you know, you've got Bol Bol out there heading to Phoenix on a, on a minimum and, and Christian Wood, who spent a lot more time in the league, just uh, sitting waiting in the wings. But that's probably basketball. Um, can't oh, the World Cup's coming up. That's um, less than a month away now. I think it starts on the twenty fifth of August. Um, I'm excited for it. I'm seeing a lot of footage of the Boomers warming up and at their camp. Um, Jock Landale and Josh Giddy getting around Melbourne and taking a lot of, you know, getting a lot of promo out there. I think. Uh, this is a very easy team to get behind as an Australian. And there's a lot of ta- there's a lot of talent there. Um, this will be one of Patty Mill's last big, significant tournaments. Uh, I think he'll probably make the next Olympics in Paris, but this will be his last World Cup. Probably the same for Joe Ingalls. Um, two Australian legends. And, you know, I've, I've, if this is the last time I get to watch them in Australian jerseys or one of the last times, then that does make me quite sad but very appreciative of, of everything that they've done for the boomers and and what they've you know how they've built the game here in Australia and Patty's just like Patty's just such a legend he's one of our one of our all-time greats and you know if we can if we can make a run then the the team will, it'll be all around Patty and behind Patty it's just so good to have a guy with his experience teaching someone like giddy uh, Josh Green and, and you know Dante Exxon's back for another run uh, I did a piece about him the other day, obviously talking about his positives and, and making it back into the league and, and what he did in the, in the Olympics as a, as a guy getting out on transition and, and running the wing. So I'm, I'm excited for the Boomers. I think they're one of the better teams out there. Uh, but one of the teams that kind of sneakily shocked me, I shouldn't be shocked by this, but the Canadian team is insane. <laughs> And I'm only shocked because I just forget that all these guys are Canadian. Uh, for the most part, you know, I know who all the Australians are and the Euros and then everyone else is just kind of American. But this is the Canadian team. They've got Nikhil Alexander-Walker, good player. RJ Barrett, sure, a good player. O'Shea Brissett, Dylan Brooks, Lou Dort, uh, Shea Gildas alexander of course. Corey Joseph, Jamal Murray, Kelly Alinek, Dwight Powell. And then a few other guys, but that's a good team. Like Jam- <laughs> Jamal, Murray, <laughs> Shea Alexander sharing the court with Lou Dort locking everyone up on the, on the perimeter with Kelly Olinick, point scorer, Dwight Powell. Yeah. O'Shea Brissett's good player. I, I am like, it's dumb that I'm surprised by this team because I forget that all these dudes are, are actually Canadian rather than American, but this is a team that can make a lot of noise. I, I would expect them... This is a finals team. This is one of the best teams for sure. This is probably just a touch below the US team. And the US Fever team... I'll pull it up. Because it's pretty... like Obviously, it's it's stacked. But it's not the same as an Olympic team. They tend to send um, younger guys to this. And its last tournament was, was Brown, Mitchell, Tatum... Bam Adebayo and a few different guys who were in there. They were like 22 at the time, but now this is their roster, uh, for the upcoming world cup. They've got Palo Bencaro, Mikael Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, Terrence Halliburton, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson, Jr. Cam Johnson, Walker Kessler, Bobby Portis, and Austin Reeves. Bobby Portis making it as the veteran. What a move, but that's a great team. That's a really good team. Um, if anyone, I would predict Anthony Edwards is going to be the like the big point scorer on that team. He's going to have the the, the big highlight moments. Um, but also really excited to see Bridges, Brunson, and Hart, the three Villanova guys, getting back on the court together. That's really cool. Um, Jaron, oh man, Jaron's going to be so good in that tournament. He's going to be the best defender on that team. Yeah, oh, they can run out Mikel Bridges and Jaron Jackson Jr. at the same time. Fuck moly yeah no that's a nice team (laughs) that's one of those teams where like i you know this is still in the back of mind this world cup coming up it's still a bit too far away to really think about it but occasionally like uh mikhail did a an interview with paul george during the week and they talked a bit about the upcoming world cup and he talked you know he's excited to go and and play some games with brunson again and and then you th- like fuck he's gonna be playing him and BI, him and fuck me. Oh, this is a good team. Yeah. Walker Kessler, man, that's sick. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm not so <laughs> like maybe uh maybe Joe Eagles isn't gonna have like as much of an impact on the tournament as as um, as Walker Kessler. But that's fine. The U.S. is supposed to be the best. They have the best, you know. It's their sport. They invented it. They should be the best at this, and everyone else is trying to catch up or keep up with them. And Canada might even catch up. You'd, you know, Australia to to be at that level would have to play above their their kind of accepted standard, and they've done that previously at different tournaments and Olympics. So I'm still excited for Australia, but <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Tracey Saliburton is on that team too. Like you just look at the You, I, I keep looking over away from the list. And then I look back and notice another team, another name of the team. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> we have to play that guy. Oh, that's going to be, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. It's probably in a bad time zone. So I don't know how much of it I'll, I'll even, um, I'll even see in the end, but that's, uh, that's basketball. Uh, and just a moment to, before wrapping this up to, to head over to Broncos corner. Um, I'm going to the game tonight, it's at the Gabba, which is weird uh, That's why I'm going, I want to like see a Broncos game at the Gabba The last, I've been to the Gabba a bunch for cricket So I'm not going to count that um, in this narrative or omen But the last two football games that I went to uh, at the Gabba Are the Lions-Geelong Cats games, which are known as Miracle on Grass 1 and 2 I don't really know uh, AFL all that well. I'm not a big fan of it, but I think to AFL people, that means something. Um, Those are both games where the Lions won in close circumstances, coming from behind uh, and kicking game-winning goals after the siren. Fucking woo. Um, Don't really, yeah. Like, I don't really care. I was just there. I I had free tickets both times. I'm so like I I am so such an indignant uh Queensland rugby league idiot that even going to like two of the greatest lions or AFL games in the last decade I'm just a bit like yeah whatever that was fun everyone had a run oh, I'm sure all the players had a good time and you know people who care might might consider that um a bit differently but uh, the Broncos play the Roosters tonight this is uh they're still sitting second on the ladder they had a good win last week against the the Rabbitohs where they played some pretty scrappy football in the first half, picked it up in the second, had seven or eight guys coming back from, from origin or, or injury. Still got uh, one more tonight with Tommy Flegg coming back, which is much appreciated to see the son of a banana farmer out there just fucking bending, bending bananas and bending lines as he just, you know, trucks nut up the middle. Really keen to see him, him back out there. Love Tommy Flegg. And I am still cautiously optimistic but very much pessimistic that we are, with five or six games to go in the season, sitting second because with five or six games to go left in the season last year, we were sitting fourth. And despite it being mathematic- nearly mathematically impossible for us to, to miss the top eight, we did. So I am not counting my chickens, I, but I do think... And I, I, you know, the Roosters are coming off a big win last weekend. Uh, They got out to a 30 year lead against the Titans, and then I stopped watching. And I think eventually it was like 36-18 or whatever the fuck. Um, They have been a weird team all year where they are, uh, on paper, the most talented team maybe ever assembled in terms of the amount of representative games that the Roosters players have all played. You know, they bring in Brandon Smith. They've got Joey Manu, Tedesco, Kiri so on and so forth, you know, just name after name after name. They're just pretty, like, an absolutely stacked roster. Uh, the Broncos roster, I mean, to be fair, is, is pretty close to that too. It's pretty, pretty uh, ridiculously stacked. But we have mental weaknesses instilled in us because of poor performances uh, last year and the year before and the time that we got the spoon. So for the Broncos to really prove themselves and show that they are a finals team worthy of being taken seriously by anyone outside of Brisbane, which, you know, for the time being, they're not because they fucked everything up so badly last year. This is the stretch that they need to prove themselves a contender. And, you know, it's not an easy run home. They, whoops, I just closed that tab that had their run home. Uh, Let me open that. Well done, Joseph. So they go... Roosters tonight, hope... And that's a, a, you know, these are all winnable games. So they go Roosters tonight at the Gabba. Cowboys next week in Townsville. They play the Eels at the Gabba the week after. They've got a bye. Guaranteed two points. Thank you very much. Then they play the Raiders in Canberra, which is always a oh, a Saturday 7.30 game in Canberra. That's a piece of shit. That's a tough game. And then they return to Suncorp uh, to play this, the Storm... On Thursday, the 31st of August, we have not beaten the Storm for years. The Storm haven't lost for like their last 20 games at Suncorp or something like that. That's That'll be the one. Um, it doesn't, like whatever happens in these other games, I think that they're all winnable games. Uh, the Cowboys are really hot right now. The Eels are a bit hot and cold. And, you know, they're the Eels. So it's starting to get to the point of the calendar where the Eels start losing games inexplicably. You know, August, September, they hate those months. So I'm not really too concerned about whatever the Eels are going to do. Oh, two points. Bye. Thank you very much. I'm worried about Canberra just because it's Canberra. And that's the team that we led into the finals last year by falling out. So there's a bit of a hoodoo around that. But if we can get through all those games in still, you know, good position, probably go win, win. We could go win, loss, win, loss. Stay in the top four and meet the storm at Suncorp. If they win in Suncorp, then it's time for confidence. But until then, I'm terrified that they're going to fall out of the top eight because they've already done it before. And I just, I, my hesitation around this team is I, I, I don't want to centre in on one player because football's less of a one, you know, less blame can be apportioned to one player in football than something like basketball where everything is Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown's fault. But fuck me, Billy Walters. Oh, I really, my genuine criticism of him, and it's not that we've got a Nepo baby nine or anything like that, but my genuine criticism of him is that he is not an elite decision maker. He does not have, when, when it's fourth and fifth tackle and the Broncos are 20 or 30 out There's not any part of him that thinks, he thinks in that moment that he's the best man for the job, that he's the decision maker and that it shouldn't be Ezra Mam or Adam Reynolds or Reese Walsh or Patrick Carrigan who are elite decision makers and who are the guys that can turn half chances 10 metres out into points or or reset a set and get another six or just calm everything down and find something to do within two tackles to find points or possession again but Walters just gets the ball and just fucking scoots or kicks and kicks it out or throws the worst pass you've ever seen. And it's just no other elite team has that in them. There's not, there's not that one guy on Penrith or at the storm or, you know, the Cowboys who, when they get the ball, you just go, Oh, he could do anything here in the negative sense. Like obviously the storm or the Roosters give the ball to Joey Marto. He could do anything. But you give the ball to Billy Walters and it's fuck, what are you gonna do here? What how are you gonna how are you gonna break my heart, Billy? Because you've done it so many times and just or just disappointed me. And he scores a try here and there and he has his good moments. He had a good game against the Bulldogs. Fucking hoo. I'm not really concerned about how he performs against lower quality teams. It's the the big games and the big moments where against the storm or the Panthers, you get three chances in the whole game. And when you're ten meters out and You've got a, you've got your backline set, and your hooker just decides to pick up the ball and scoot, like you just you fuck a chance, and you, you don't get that you don't get that many. So, that's my overriding fear that I wake up with every morning when I think about the Broncos, which is the second thing I do after I think about the Warriors. And when I think about the Warriors, I think fuck, why is Chris Paul on my team? So you know I'm having a really positive mental experience at the moment. Uh, and finally, uh, there's another game on tonight, the, the Matildas. They are playing at Suncorp Stadium, and the Broncos, we've been very kind. We, of course, uh, I am a former member, and I uh, maintain that I am part of that club, so that's fine. Uh, been very kind to lend our rectangular stadium to the Matildas, who thoroughly deserve it. I really enjoy watching them play. I am kind of mad that I'm going to the game tonight because I forgot that the Matildas are playing Nigeria, Um, and I would love if Sam Kerr was not injured and I would love if she came back within the timeline that they have stated that she would, that would be really cool. Um, but everything else, uh, that surrounds that situation in terms of lack of updates, lack of transparency, one of the players saying that she tore her calf, uh, makes me very nervous and scared. So I would like for Australia to go, deep into this tournament. I think they have some pretty good talent to do so. The women's game is obviously super talented. England have a great side. The US have a great side. Spain have a great side. Australia probably aren't necessarily considered on their level, but we've got a home tournament and we've got arguably the best player in that tournament when she is healthy. So I really hope that we do see Sam Kerr play against Canada on Monday. uh, And I hope that the girls can make it through against Nigeria tonight um and i'll try and kind of catch as much of that game as i can when i get home but in terms of like quality it's like that tournament is fucking i'm really enjoying watching any of the games that i can and it's not you know it's it's not as if it's all oh, women's sport it's shit like you, you watch it for two seconds and you realize like the quality is up there the competitiveness is is the same and Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's slower, but only if you put a men's game next to it. Like the players are so talented. Uh, We've got, you know, a whole bunch of players that we can be really proud of in our team. And and I'm keen to see them go all the way. And I have not uh, any, a lot of money on Sam Kerr doing a lot of things in this tournament, which uh, were not placed before she injured her calf. So I have no financial uh, impending benefit from Sam Kerr performing or not performing in this tournament. And whether that's Australian bias or me not having necessarily an in-depth knowledge of women's football, um, I'm obviously picking Australia to win the tournament, Sam Kerr to win the Golden Boot or whatever it is in that tournament, and all the other Australians to win all the other awards. And that's pretty much it. Uh, Oh, cricket starts tonight too. Fucking, oh, yeah. That's a a frustrating, uh, that's another thing giving me anxiety. I haven't. Haven't been impressed by our batting, apart from Manus getting a a second innings ton in the rain um, in the most recent test at Old Trafford. But it's just got a sour taste in my mouth from the way that the fucking English are carrying on. Like, Jesus Christ. You can't turn around and impose an ethical standard against a set of rules which you are, which says that you have won or lost or you're in or out. Like, we don't... And all this bullshit of... Oh, you know, we feel like we're ahead or having a moral victory because we're exciting and fun. Fuck off. When was cricket fun or exciting? Who has ever played cricket? I played cricket until, from when I was five until I was seventeen, so twelve years. I was never any good at it, but it wasn't fun. I never came off the off the pitch saying, "Oh Jesus, that was that was plenty of fun." I didn't do that. Because it's not a fun sport. It's about winning and losing. It's about going out there, developing some kind of mental issue as, as you stand and watch everyone else do something for a while until you're called upon to do something and then you only have a limited time to do it and if you don't do it properly, you have to go out and think about your mistakes in the field. It's not a fun sport. It's not something... It's not a great time. You know, when I play basketball, I have fun. When I play football, I have fun. I don't play cricket to have fun. That's why I don't do it as an adult because it's horrific. You don't get points for fun. You get points for taking wickets and scoring runs. Last time I fucking checked, that's not fun. That's not enjoyable. You get six balls. If you fuck any of them up, it's all your fault. You only, you know, you protect your wicket. If you fuck that up, it's all your fault. You're out. And every run that you hit gets you closer to maybe joy, maybe approval, maybe friends, but it doesn't. No one's out there for fun. What are you talking about? It's a joke, honestly. I, I And, you know... Zach Crawley goes out and hits 180 runs at 100, 186 runs and 181 balls. Well done to him. He fucking hit the fucking piss out of it. But that's it. Every other day, Australia's been has been at least equal to or better than England. So they can fuck off with their claims that they are moral victors or should have won different games or this or that. Pat Cummins had a had a great innings in the in the fourth innings in the first test, and then Johnny Bester was out of his crease in the second, and they can fuck off about that too. Anyway, um, anger. <laughs> I'm alone in my house yelling uh, about Johnny Bairstow. So that's probably a point by which I, I need to end and, and go and do something productive with my time. If I have published this, then I thank you for listening to it. Uh, and if I haven't, then this goes into a folder uh, of all my other deleted projects that I that I did not enjoy. But thank you for listening to another episode. Let me know if this is uh, something that you did enjoy, if, it, if it's something that you listened to, Um, and if it's something that you would like me to do more regularly, this is, I just got all the the kits set up in my house. So, you know, I had an hour today and this is how I decided to use it. All right. Cheers.